And so what most people do is they believe that evil is an external thing and that your job as a human being is to outwit it or out trick it. Right. Right. But what we find in this parable is that evil actually exists in people because what does he say? He says the, the weeds are the people of the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. We are here to help you navigate life by giving you the tools, knowledge, and skills to make your own decisions. Our goal on the Salty Pastor is to help you grow your faith. We believe that you pursue Jesus, you become a person who knows what they believe and why they believe it. Someone who is not gullible, easily swayed, naive, immature, or overly sensitive, but instead someone who wants to navigate life with strength, courage, and confidence. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we can not do the salty pastor podcast without the salty pastor himself dr douglas Peake. welcome everyone it is so good to be with you today as we are embarking on a new journey together i'm very excited we're going to be in this journey just as focus for i mean at least 16 17 weeks and i think it's going to be really exciting because it's really going to help us understand at a deeper level what the kingdom of god is and the nature of it how it functions all that good stuff and so i think you're going to find it really beneficial to your faith absolutely and this new series is all about the parables of jesus and our first parable is the parable of the weeds <laughs> yes um, jesus tells this parable in matthew 13 and we started with this parable for two basic reasons uh number one it's one of the parables where jesus actually gives us an explanation mm-hmm. um, that's recorded in the scriptures and he doesn't do this very often um, number two it gives us a framework on understanding all of the other parables it explains the nature of the kingdom of god the nature of the kingdom of the devil and how these two kingdoms exist side by side in the world. Yeah. And I think there's some points we could consider just a brief review. And that is, is that these people were Jewish people that were hearing him teach these parables, right? Mm. And they were very much wrapped up their entire faith, their religion, Judaism was wrapped up in this notion of a Mosaic covenant with God. You know, you got to keep the covenant. And so that's why they had, they had a temple there and that's where the presence of God was. And the temple was a physical structure on a very important, dedicated piece of land. Now, you just took a trip to Israel, didn't you? Yes, I did. And you walked on the Temple Mount. We did. And up there on the Temple Mount where you walked was the second Herodian temple. And that was a temple that was in existence when Jesus was teaching up there. So you were walking in the same area that Jesus walked in and taught. Right. And one of their biggest things, so the point is, is that to them, when you said kingdom of God, right, they're thinking Temple Mount, they're thinking presence of God temple. The people of his time were thinking. Yeah, yes. the people of his time were thinking these things, right? And in their mind, you know, to the kingdom of God was a physical place, you know, with walls and, and turrets and, and all kinds of things to protect them, right? And right. God was going to be like their mighty warrior. And so they, they really believe strongly in this. And so here Jesus comes along and he gives a totally different perspective about the kingdom of God. Mm. And he says something that was probably going to rock their world. That's what we talked about on Tuesday. And that is, is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil, it coexists side by side. Mm. And you know, their, their whole endeavor was we want to follow the covenant of God in order to purge 
the Romans from our midst, right? Mm -hmm. That's what they were trying to do. So based on that and from where they're coming from, what Jesus taught in this parable was really earth shattering in a lot of ways. And one of the things he, he specifically taught and said is that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil coexist side by side in the world. Okay. If you remember the parable, there was a field, the owner plants wheat in the middle of the night, enemies come in, plant weeds. Right. So then period of time goes by. The workers say, oh my goodness, we have weeds and wheat. And what do we do? Do we go and weed it? And the owner says, nope, let them grow together. And then we're going to harvest it. And then at that point, we'll separate it. Mm. And we're going to burn up the weeds and we're going to keep the wheat into the barn. And so what Jesus is saying to these people is that evil does exist and it exists in this world right now right? The world is a field. And even though Jesus came to defeat evil, he has defeated it. The whole point of the resurrection is that he defeated evil. But that does not mean that evil in that moment was eradicated. It is still around. Primarily, evil exists in the heart of human beings, right? That's where it exists. And this is a critical point that most people don't think about. They don't consider it. You know, uh, most people formulate their idea of evil based on horror movies. Okay. Right. And as a connoisseur of horror movies, what is evil in a horror movie? It's always that big bad villain that's skulking around and murdering everybody, right? And, yeah. And, and it's unknown and it's unpredictable, but the whole point of a horror movie is the people who are in it, right? Kind of figure out how to combat it, to trick it, to, right? It's right. a, it's a, male, a male, malevolent force and human ingenuity gives them the capacity to out think it out, trick it, uh, manipulate it or Overcome whatever. It, right. Right. That's almost, so what most people do is they believe that evil is an external thing and that your job as a human being is to outwit it or out trick it. Right. Right. But what we find in this parable is that evil actually exists in people because what does he say? He says the, the weeds are the people of the devil. Right. Mm. So, okay. That's really interesting. So you really need to think about what is evil and where does it reside? Where does it come? Is it a material personified force outside of humanity that we need to trick or outwit? Or as the new Testament worldview says, is that evil is something in the heart of human beings. And this impact, this concept will have a huge influence on you, your own perspective, your worldview, and actually how you live life every day. So pastor, talk to me, how, how does a person's understanding of evil, what you've just been talking about, affect their day-to-day -day life other than just wanting to kind of avoid it? Like, <laughs> I don't want evil. Bye. Yeah. I, I need to put my mosquito repellent on my evil repellent on and just kind of walk away. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it is good to avoid right? Yes. But the issue is, is what if it's inside you? Mm. How do you avoid it? Okay. Strangely enough, strangely enough, your, your, your perception of evil and what it is affects you more than you'll ever imagine. 
your grasp of how far evil extends, where it resides, uh, impacts your relationships. It, it determines whether you will have friendships that last a lifetime or you just go through friends like, you know, cheap shoes. Right. Uh, it, it determines on whether you'll be able to get married and stay married as opposed to serial monogamy where, you know, you get married and then you divorce, you know, uh, like right now there's a meme on in the internet that says that, you know, first marriages are like pancakes, you know, throwing the first one away is no big deal, <laughs> you know? So, Yeesh. okay. Um, yeah, it, your concept of evil and how it influences you, not just from an external source, but inside you has a huge impact on when you get married, how you get married, how do you stay married? How do you work through problems? Has a huge impact on how you raise your kids. Mm. Okay. Um, if your perception is, is that evil is something totally exterior and it's not in the heart of human beings, then you won't really have any disciplined plan to develop character and virtue in the life of your children. But you see, if you realize, well, it's actually part of the human condition, it's part of human nature. So the whole point of raising children is to, develop within them virtue. Right. And you want to mold and shape their character because you want them to exhibit, you know, good qualities, right. good human being type things. Those things have to be taught. But if your perception of evil is that, well, it's just out there, my kid is already perfect, then you tend to be a helicopter per, uh, parent that goes around protecting your kid from what you think is every slight against them. And then they, you know, grow up, they turn into Howard Hughes, you know, mm. kind of a thing. So a lot of people don't know the story of Howard Hughes, but he was one of the first, you know, almost billionaires and he was very, very wealthy, but he was crazy. Mm. <laughs> you know, he lost his mind. And part of it was because of the way his mother raised him, you right. know? So the, the issue of evil has a huge impact on every area of your life. It's how satisfied you are with the love in your life, what you give and what you receive. It even influences your politics and how you vote. I mean, I could just keep going on the list of the impact that your definition and belief in evil, where it comes from, where it resides, has on the rest of your life. But most people don't think about it, right? They just don't think about it. They don't want to. They just want to avoid it. But therein lies the trap, right? Mm. So I would say that the more you actually think about it and the more you grasp this idea concerning evil uh, that he talks about in the parable, then the better your life actually becomes. Well, and, and the devil loves to kind of fly under the radar, right? Like yes. if you're not looking at him, that's where he loves to operate is as long as you're not aware that he's working in your life, he has all kinds of power to manipulate you and do all kinds of things in your life. And then you never blame it on him. You blame it on luck or God or any number of other things. Yeah. And he's like, I'm not here. I'm not here. It's no, I didn't, I didn't do that to you. It wasn't me. It was, it was whatever. Right. And so yeah. he loves to, to live under the radar, but once you understand and believe what is happening and how evil influences your life and how it's part of some aspects of you internally, even sometimes then it really changes how you attack and, and work through life. It is. And that's a significant point. There was a famous song by an author by the name of Keith Green who wrote this thing. He said, and in it, uh, the name of the song is my job keeps getting easier, mm. <laughs> you know? Uh, no, and well, the line in it goes, uh, it's from Satan's perspective, just like the screw tape letters that CS Lewis wrote, but from the devil, he goes, my job keeps getting easier. 
every single day because no one believes in me anymore. Mm. People just open up their doors and let me walk right in right. <laughs> because nobody believes in me anymore. Yeah. And so that that's a significant point. It's not that we are enamored with evil or that we like evil, but you know, we're very aware of it. And we in today that's what's so interesting is that people are incapable of seeing what's evil and it's amazing to me like just recently um here's kind of a salty take hot take and that is there's been uh doctors in the state of idaho who've been writing op-eds in favor of child mutilation to affirm their gender Mm. so they they want to uh cut the breasts off healthy 13 year old girls and 14 year old girls right and they're in support of this. They're writing op-eds on that. And the fact that nobody can actually sit back and go, that's just evil. You're, you're mutilating children, right? Now, when they get older, if that's what they want to do, fine. But these are kids for crying out loud. Right. Who don't un- the whole point of our judicial system and our entire structure of American society is that kids can't give consent because they don't understand right. what they're consenting to, Right. And yet you have doctors who've taken a Hippocratic oath writing op-eds in support of this, mm. you know? And, and to me, the inability for anybody to just step back and go, well, that's evil is, is in other words, everything has become so gray because we don't understand what evil is anymore. Right. And that is not a good thing. Um, and another area that I think is really hard for us to digest right now is that there is an ideology built on the presupposition that human beings can create utopia and and that the world would be a better place uh, and human beings can make it that way, right? This is called socialism and communism. These are Marxist ideologies. And what's really interesting is that when Ronald Reagan was president, you know, he came out and he called Russia, the communist Russia at the time, the USSR, he called it the evil empire. He used the word evil and everybody freaked out, mm. right? Everybody freaked. How can you call this evil? It's just an alternative lifestyle. He goes, no, it's evil. I mean, <laughs> and then they started reading what people who had lived through it and like Alexander Solzhenitsyn and some of the other people who won Nobel Prize, they realized, yeah, it is evil. It's absolute evil is what it is. And, but today in America, this ideology is being propagated with this pipe dream, I call it, a false hope, and that is utopia. We, we, you know what? We could create a perfect society where there was no need, there was no want, we were all just equal and happy. Now, on the one hand, I think that really appeals to people, uh, this notion of altruistic communities where we all live in perfect harmony, you know? And since we're all created in the image of God and humanity existed before the fall, I think every human being has an altruistic desire to make the world a better place, right? Mm. We want it to be better. Right. You know, so why not? Why, why can't we create a utopia? It appeals to that good part of us. But on the other hand, the notion that we can do it on our own is the idea of the Tower of Babel. It is sheer and utter arrogance to think that we can eradicate our own human nature because that's the problem. Now, if we're just fighting evil, that's something out there, right? 
Boy, we can mobilize and we can overcome it. You know, evil's this giant asteroid that's hurtling towards, and we're going to send a deep, you know, oil driller up there to <laughs> blow it up. You know, hey, I love that movie. <laughs> so do I. You know, you see what I'm saying is that. That's what we're going to do because that's evil. But what we don't realize is that the evil is within us. And mm. and that's what uh, Schultz and Eaton said. And that's why communism is so evil is because what it does is it denies the corruption of the human heart. And then it gives free reign to it. And boy, it was just when you really study what happened in the USSR, it's just absolutely horrific. Okay. So this is what, though, university students are taught all the time. If your child or your teenager graduates from college, high school, goes to university, and they take any social science course, you're taught that poverty is a result of the system, okay? And that therefore crime is a result of poverty. So we have to eradicate poverty, and then we're going to eradicate crime, and we'll have a utopia, right? No one mm. will do anything wrong, okay? Now, what's interesting is this is pure and unadulterated malarkey. It's not true. <laughs> Real research shows clearly that your propensity for crime is directly impacted by the family you grew up in and your moral compass. It has nothing to do with poverty. All right? Just because you're poor doesn't make you a criminal. Right. <laughs> okay? It has everything to do with the family you grew up in. You have to look back. A lot of people are not aware of this, but just 150 years ago or less in America... 90 some percent of Americans lived under the poverty level, right? Right. They lived on less than a dollar a day. They were poor. We were in an agrarian uh, economy. Most people were poor. And this is before the Great Depression. Back in the 18th, people were just poor. All They didn't have a lot. And yet America was the, the highest moral place in the world, right? So mm -hmm. poverty has nothing to do with it. It right. has everything to do with how you're raised. And the primary underlying motivation for theft is envy. It's not poverty. Some of the most envious people in the world are the wealthiest people in the world. Some of the greatest crimes against humanity were committed by the wealthiest people that ever existed. Mm -hmm. You know, if poverty is a primary cause of criminality, then how do you explain the fact that it's often the wealthiest and the most powerful that create the biggest atrocities? Right. Like, you know, um, Stalin. You know, or what about Mao Zedong? You know, Mao, Mao was very, very well off in his communist China. And when he started the Cultural Revolution, he was at the top, right? You know, look at Hitler. Hitler was not a poor person right. when he was the Fuhrer, you know, and yet they, so poverty is not an indicator of crime. Envy is. So what, what does this mean? The ideology that we can create a utopia is evil because the desire to, to create a utopia is infantile. So I went to Dr. Jordan Peterson's uh, lecture on Monday, and he was talking about who, uh, that, that utopia, the idea of utopia, is infantile. He says, whoever came up with the idea that being well-fed and safe, living in your parents' basement, is what's best for you. He says that's totally irrational. That's not what's best for you. He points out that the primary call of the human heart is adventure. Men, you know, discovered, men want to discover what's beyond the event horizon. They want to go discover new lands, discover new things. You know, Star Trek, you know, the 
final, final frontier. frontier. <laughs> we want to get out there and explore it. You know that there, we are explorers. We are adventurers. Women want to fall in love. Women want to have children. Women want to do things and create community. Well, guess what? Every time you fall in love, that's an adventure. Mm. If you have a kid, talk about an adventure, <laughs> right? I mean, so uh, men and women alike are called to adventure, and all of these things have. Uh, the this adventurous quality to them the falling in love the exploring new horizons creating art and literature is an adventure creating community is an adventure nurturing is an adventure teaching is an adventure i mean it's, the adventures just go on and on and on but what's interesting is that the reason we're called to this is because adventure excites the heart and energizes the mind mm. when we step out onto into an adventure that's when we grow the most when we step out of our comfort zone, right, and we try to do things we've never done before, we're pushed to our limits, is when we grow and develop the most. You do not grow and develop in utopia where everything is safe. You right. don't. You have to live an adventure. So then when you have an adventure, most people say, boy, this is when they feel most alive. When people fall in love, guess what? Even the rain is fun. You know, singing in the rain. <laughs> you know, everything smells better. Food tastes better. Every moment is exciting. Why? Because you're in love. Uh, never ignore the fact that, though, adventure requires something, okay? And you know what it requires? Risk of the unknown. If mm. there's no risk, if it's completely predictable, guess what? It's not an adventure. It's not exciting. It is not <laughs> fun. You have to launch into the unknown. Do something that you don't feel qualified or equipped to do. Meet somebody new. Engage in a relationship that you've never engaged in before. That's what makes it an adventure and so exciting and fun. This is why utopia is infantile and stupid. <laughs> People who want to coddle you, give you things, take away your autonomy with promises of safety and security are the Pied Pipers and Pinocchio leading you to Pleasure Island where you end up turning into a jackass. That is a biblical term, by the way. It is. <laughs> Never forget, utopia is a lie of the devil and those who believe it and propagate it and try to encourage people to pursue it are evil. Okay, so the promise of a utopia here on earth is bad. I, I get it. You get it. Pastor, okay. I got it. I got it. The parable shows clearly that the good people and evil people, uh, evil people coexist in the world and that the devil is trying to increase the number of evil people. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls these people under the devil's influence weeds in his parable right so why so the reason i think that the i think that's a salient point and the reason why is because evil exists within people mm. okay and this is why redemption is needed this is why redemption is so powerful it, the the weeds in the parable are false right the weeds look green when they first grow right they, they grow just like the wheat but they only consume Weeds don't give anything back. They don't multiply. They don't produce. They simply live for their own life cycle, consuming resources in the process. Weeds are narcissists, right? That's all. <laughs> yes. they, they exist for themselves and just to propagate that life cycle. So uh, let me say something really salty and for yourself. If, if you want to be, if you want to be a salty person, listener, then think about this 
You've heard the cliche within Christianity, you've been around it very long, is that God loves the sinner but hates the sin. Yes, I have heard this phrase. Is it true? That's uh, the question. I think the goal of this statement is well-intentioned, right? Yeah, what, what, I, mean, what, I think it's trying to convey aspects of God's character, which is he does love you, but he doesn't like the things that you do. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> it attempts to show how God, you're right, values that part of you, right, that he wants to save. That is the real you created in his image, while at the same time acknowledging the real problem that you have is your soul has been corrupted by sin. It's a cancer, right? Right. Okay. Unfortunately, that worked really well in a revelatory type society or culture or in a modern, but in postmodernism, what we've become is we become pagan again, right? Right. And so what has happened now is that in our pagan society, the implication is 100% Gnostic. Where and Gnostic is when you separate the physical from the spiritual. That's right? exactly right. They're two separate I'm things. I'm learning something. Almost 300 episodes in, Pastor, and I've got all <laughs> kinds of words that I know the definition of. Yeah. And so, because in First John, that was written to combat Gnosticism. And what's one of the things that he wrote in there? He goes, by this we know that we have come to know Jesus is if we keep his commands. Right. So he's saying your actions and behavior are connected to your new identity in Christ. You cannot separate the true. Like today, one of the most difficult things is this, is that in the LGBTQ movement, the statement is this, I am gay, right? Right. So my identity is based on my who I am sexually attracted. <laughs> my sexual preference is my identity, mm. right? So. You can't say to that person, well, God loves you, but not your sin, because what they, what you're doing is you're making a Gnostic argument. You're trying to separate it. And in their mind, they're not Gnostics. They aren't. Their identity is what they do. Right. Okay. So the saltiest thing is when you work through it and someone says, well, you know, so you saying that gay is evil say, well, you are evil. <laughs> you, and, and of course you're, I'm evil. Right. Right. That's why I got redeemed, you see. And that's that's one of the biggest things. And and so it's really quite fascinating. There, there's, there's a real trend among young people today that I find really interesting. It's in really big, massive mega churches where what they say is this, is that you don't have to change anything at all. You know, if you like to smoke dope, um, if you're, you know, you know, in a situation, you know, sexually or whatever, if you are taking drugs, you don't have to change anything. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus and then he will tell you whether you need to stop those things or not. Which I think that's really interesting because on yeah, the one you hand, say interesting, I think that's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm like, oh, okay. Sorry. I'm going to be the salty one in this situation. It, that's, that's, that's a, that's a very shallow perspective of how grace and truth works. Cause right. this is what is that you, you know, repentance is basically the, what it is, is I want salvation without repentance. Right now. Do you have to, I mean, you, you can play a zero sum game and you can say, do I have to stop smoking dope in order to become a Christian? No, no, you don't, you don't have to. Uh, but if you want to become a, a authentic follower of Christ, you have to ask yourself, why am I addicted 
you know, to drugs or why am I what addicted is to my focus yeah, off of what why I am I doing all these things? Because when I come to Christ, I'm being born again. Right. You know, and so the key, because otherwise it comes across as this, is that, well, you just get, you know, your fire insurance taken care of. You're not going to burn in hell. And then you live life however you want. And you create a Christian atheist. Right. And, and the problem with that is Jesus said the other thing, too. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You go, people who said, well, did not we prophesy in your name? Did we not speak in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? He goes, yeah, but I never knew you. He goes, we have to know Christ. Right. And, and if, if I come to Christ, this is why Christ said, if you want to come to me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, ha- I think that that is a watered down version that they're preaching of Christ. Um, by not stating the depth of what Christ calls you to, right? Right. Even though from a technical standpoint, you could say, well, what they're saying is true. I go, well, is it completely true, right? You're only saying a small part. So let's get back, though, to this thing about how God, does he love the sinner and hate the sin? Well, no, because he hates you because you're a sinner. Right. This is this. Nobody wants to hear this, but Paul says over and over again, it's because of what we do that the wrath of God is being poured out. Well, what is wrath? You know, I mean, what does that mean? The wrath of God. It means it's being poured out because of what we're doing. We're living in rebellion against God. So what happens is I know this is salty, but I want everybody to think about this. What's really salty is that you have to think about is it is that you cannot separate who you are from what you're doing before you're redeemed. You, you can't. It's one in the same. Right. Jesus says that these weeds are what? Does he say they are disembodied people? No, he says they are people who are evil. Right. And what is a person? How does a person get into the kingdom of God and become a good seed? Only until when they're redeemed. Mm. You see, and that's the critical point. Um. I, and that's that's what's really I think as long as a person is rejecting the gospel of Jesus Christ in his unredeemed way, they are a weed. God considers them evil, and God hates evil, right? Right. Jesus said, "If you are not for me, I love you anyway. You keep on doing what you want; it's no big deal." No, that's not what he said. Uh, what did that's he say? <laughs> if you're not for me, then you're, you're what? Against me. You are against me. You are in opposition to what I am attempting to do right. in the building of my kingdom. Now, this is really important, I think, to understand is I don't have to hate you, reject you, abuse you in order to recognize that you're my enemy, right? Jesus is the only person I know who says, pray for your enemies and love those who persecute you. He's obviously saying that we should look at our enemies as future brothers and sisters who are going to join the kingdom of God. But on the other hand, I can still recognize that they are my enemy. They are opposed to me and God's kingdom and their belief system is designed to undermine my faith. Mm. And I, I can, I don't have to hate you to acknowledge that. Right. Right. At all. I, I find this really interesting in the explanation that Jesus is giving about this parable. On the one hand, he specifically states that there are people of the devil and that they are weeds. Mm -hmm. He also states that there are people who are the good seed and they are wheat, right? Mm -hmm. What is interesting in this statement that God allows them to coexist on, on earth at the same time, it's, it's, 
It feels counterintuitive. So being in the kingdom of God does not insulate you from the effects of the evil people because weeds do pull nutrients from the surrounding plant life, right? Yeah. It's, they don't just coexist peacefully there. It is a battle. Yeah, it can choke you out. As a matter of fact, another parable we'll talk about later is uh, the parable of the sower is that sometimes the seed of the gospel falls among the weeds, right? And the weeds choke it out. Right. So you're exactly right. The, the, a weed can grow right next to you and do what to your faith? Just choke, choke it, it out. Choke it out and destroy it. It's important to note that if evil is so bad, why does God allow it to exist? Well, very two important reasons. First of all, he says, there will come a time, the final judgment, where he will no longer allow it to exist. So it's only coexisting for a period of time. Right. It's not okay? forever. It's not forever. Just this period of time. He has a specific then moral reason for allowing it to exist. Right? Right. And if God is love, what is the moral reason for him allowing it to exist? It's love. Right. right? What's best? My perspective is this. My life would be so much better. My faith so much stronger. My existence so much more meaningful. If God would just get rid of all this evil and all my problems would go away and I'd make better decisions and I wouldn't be tempted and it'd be so, the world would be utopia. <laughs> but, but we've discussed need, this. Yeah, we talked that but you need to think more deeply than that. That's why Jesus said, if you have ears, then you should hear. Evil exists within the hearts of human beings. And if God comes in and roots out all of the evil, he pulls all the weeds right now, guess what? These are unredeemed human beings. What impact will God eradicating all of the unredeemed human beings around you have on your faith? You think it would be beneficial, but Jesus says it would undermine your faith, right? Isn't that what he says in the parable? Yeah. Let them stay together. Right. So, so God has a moral reason to patiently wait for the final judgment so that he can give everybody a choice before, you know, it all comes to an end. When they finally are harvested, the angels come and harvest and separate, right? Right. And I think that's what's so fascinating about this parable is that what it does is when people say, well, if God's so good and loving, why do bad things happen? And this parable explains why. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for sharing all this with us, for giving us some insight of why this matters in our days today. Because, you know, especially when you start reading all about this farming stuff, it can feel like, well, none of that matters to me. I don't understand anything about farming in this modern day, right? <laughs> hey, that's right. Um, but it still matters. He's just using a tool to help convey a truth. And that's what mm -hmm. these parables are really about. So yes. and they, we need to know these and truths. We need to know them. So you're going to be kicking off our, our brand new series, the moral of the story this Sunday. Uh, make sure you guys join us. Um, make sure you invite some friends to join you yeah. in this journey of discovering truth through these stories. These are very bite-sized, easy to digest. Um, well, I wouldn't say easy to digest, but, but they're, they're bite-sized moral stories, moral stories, right? Yeah. And, and we're pastor Doug and, and everyone who's going to be teaching on these parables. will do a good job explaining them to, uh, people and they can jump in whenever these, yeah. these stories are not interrelated. So, uh, invite a friend this week, next week, any week, um, because the series is not necessarily building on itself. It's all individual. You can jump in anytime. Thanks. Yep. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next week on the salty pastor podcast. And we're celebrating 300 episodes. Woohoo! Blessings, everyone.